0: Well, we are glad to see you here, and I want you to know I was personally counting how many people left the room to go eat breakfast, all right? Um, at, before we get started today into the sermon, this, I, I want to make a couple of announcements for you. First of all, the shine the light uh, Christmas emphasis is, a, is something that's brand new for us this year. Uh, we rather than try to create or recreate our Imagine Christmas event, which we did for the community for many, many years where we would actually have hundreds, sometimes thousands of people crowded through the hallways of this church to experience the Christmas story, we still think maybe we need to be a little more cautious uh, given the COVID realities of the world right now. Um, even though numbers are good, we want them to keep being good and keep being better. So what shine the light is, is this, we're inviting you to take the light of Christ into your neighborhood and to decorate your home with, a, with a, a light display outside. Uh, now, for some of you, you're like, Pastor, it's not even Thanksgiving yet, and you're already talking about this. Others of you have already started decorating your homes. I drove by, I've seen, all right? And what we want to let you know is that, that uh, if you choose to be a part of the shining light uh, emphasis that we've got, um, then you'll, you can actually sign up. We, we will give you a yard sign that will go in your yard, and you put a QR code on it, and that qr code when people see it and they scan it it'll take them to a wonderful uh retelling of the christmas story uh the other thing is uh that you we will Put you not your name, just your address. After you've got your lights up, on a, a, a brochure as well as an, a digital brochure that will let people know where there are houses here in Anderson where you can take your family, uh, particularly young families with young kids, you can take and do a tour of Christmas lights, uh, kind of like what some of you are doing now with a tour of the fall colors. Okay, to to have an evening, and we want to encourage you to be to be a part of that. Uh, something we want to do to basically, basically say to the people around us, you know, it's time to celebrate Christmas. And we want to be a part of that. The other thing I want to say to you is something I say every year on the first Sunday of November. And that's what this Sunday is, the first Sunday of November. And here at Eastside, uh, during November and December, it, there's always a, an emphasis on our end of year financial contributions. And each year I try to tell you somewhere where if you'd like to make a contribution uh, at the end of the year that where it would be most helpful. Because people ask me, hey, Pastor, where, where can we contribute that will be most helpful? And if God's blessed you this year, we want to let you know. Last year, I told you during the, the pandemic, uh, the heights of the pandemic, our missions giving had slipped a little bit. I want to say to you, our missions giving has been wonderful. You're doing amazing in that right now. We're so grateful. But the other thing we want to let you know, though, is that our regular fund, our general operating fund, has slipped just a little bit. And so if God's blessed you this year and you're looking for a place where you can make a contribution to a place that makes a difference, um, this, is, this is that place. And we want to encourage you to do that. And if you need help, if God's blessed you, with stock increases or properties and that kind of thing, you can call our office, ask for Wendy Fridley, our church administrator, or Donna Whitehead, our finance director. Either one of them will help you with that. So enough commercial. We're going to talk today about who is God. And today is, the, the, of the sermons that we've been in this series, we've got two more uh, this, these next couple of weeks in this series of discovering who God is. Now what we've discovered so far is that God is generous, God is good. Uh, God God is trustworthy, God is loving, and God is holy. And as we've discovered these attributes of God, for those of you who are with us for the first time, either on campus or online, uh, what we're doing is this. Each of us carries within us God narratives, stories about God that that we believe because someone said them to us somewhere or or somehow we've read about God, and, and we have these ideas, these stories, these narratives about God. But unfortunately, some of those stories we have about God are untrue. They're unfounded. In fact, some of them are actually bad. And so what we've been doing this fall here at Eastside is we've been looking at the stories about God that Jesus tells us. Because we believe sincerely that Jesus is the Son of God. And no one knows the Father better than the Son. And so as Jesus was telling us about who God is, as he was telling us about his heavenly Father, he describes for us good God narratives. And those narratives are the ones that he is is good, he is generous, he he is holy, he is trustworthy, he's he's an awesome God. And and yet today, today we're going to look at what I believe to be the most important of the attributes of God. It's it's a part of of the narrative of who God is that makes the most difference in a a world that is post-Christian. In a world where last Sunday, if you went to church, online or on campus in the United States of America, you were part of 17% of the people of this country. Which means that last Sunday, 83% of the people in this country didn't attend church anywhere, online or on campus. And there are some of you, some of you that, that are listening today for the first time, and I wanna say thank you. Some of you are here today for the first time, but you need to know national numbers tell us that since the pandemic began in March of 2020, that one in five people who used to go to church regularly, every week or two, haven't been to church online and haven't been to church in person in over 20 months. They just stopped going. And so into that kind of world, what we're about to talk about today is the most important thing that we can say. Because what we need to understand is that this makes the difference between the God of Jesus, the God of the New Testament, the God of the Bible, and every other religious system in the world. Because in every other religious system there's this bad God narrative, And, and unfortunately it's crept into the Christian world. The bad God narrative is this, that, that you have to earn your right to be heard by God, that you work your way toward God, that it's your responsibility to, to open your life and move yourself toward God. But the, but the good God narrative, the, the, the narrative of Jesus is that, is that God, well, it's in John three sixteen: for God so loved the world, now we hear that part, but here's the part we miss, that he sent, he gave his only begotten son. You see, it's in that action verb that we find the difference between Christianity, but the difference between the New Testament Christianity and all the religious systems of the world. Because you don't have to learn a secret mantra. You don't have to practice ascetic practices. You don't have to find your way to earn yourself. You don't have a checklist of do's and don'ts and rules. No, this, this God, the God of Jesus... He actually came here for us. And get this, he's still coming. He's still coming to our world. He's still approaching us. He's not waiting for us to work our way toward him. Instead, he is actually coming down to us right now in this moment through his Holy Spirit at work in our world and in us. And so when we're looking into understanding how that happens, it's good to start with the way Jesus described. See, Jesus was different than most of the people we've met in the last 21 months. See, we've lived through a time where people say, my mother used to say it like this. There are some people who say, do what I say, not what I do. Okay? Did you ever run into people like that? Do what I say not what I did. And how many of us have run into pastors or authority figures or governments or, for heaven's sake, politicians who in the last 20 months have said, do this. I mean, do, do you remember when, when they were in the process of catching politicians who were on sound bites telling everybody, you know, you must quarantine, you must wear a mask, and you must not eat in a restaurant. And then somebody somewhere, paparazzi, gets a picture of the very same politician saying, eating in a restaurant, no mask, all that. And we're all going, oh, you bunch of hypocrites. Yeah. Well, hey, you know, people have been saying that about the church for years. I have people say, I don't want to go to church. There's a bunch of hypocrites there. I said, there's room for one more. All right. You're ready. We're all in this together. None of us is perfect. And so what, 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 we, what we want you to know is the God of Jesus is not a hypocrite. Jesus lets us know about a God who, who tells his story by saying, here, do what I do. Don't, don't do what I say only. Do what I do. Now the way we're going to get at that today is we're going to start, I'm going to read you something. It's not going to be on the screens. For those of you who are note takers, it comes out of John chapter 15. And I'm going to read it for you. I don't want you to read it off the screens with me. Some other scriptures today will do that. But in this one, I want you to, I just want you to hear from the gospel of John, the 15th chapter and verses 12 through 17. Now, I'll have to confess to you, included in this is my life verse. Included in this passage is, is, is the verse that for my entire life, since I was a young man, has been a part of God's, God's word, God's speaking into who I try to be. And, and in this, Jesus, the setting is that Jesus is in the upper room. It's the night before he's going to be crucified. He's already washed the disciples' feet. And by the way, for those of you who are wondering, he washed all 12 disciples' feet, even Judas. He served communion to all 12, even Judas. But when he's talking right now, Judas, who betrayed him, has left to betray him. And so now he's talking to the other 11, plus some other folks who were disciples who were gathered there. And in the process, he he launches into this. This is his last big teaching moment. I mean, these are the things he's saying to people before he's going to die. So these are the things that are the most important to him. He wants them to really remember this. And in John chapter 15, verse 12, listen to these words. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down their life for their friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Now, very quickly, those of you who are listening intently, you, you'll know that, that I, I said earlier that, that in this system of thought called Christianity, New Testament Christianity, in this, in this way of faith based on the life of Jesus, I said to you quite plainly that that it's not about following a bunch of rules and the checklist. That instead, it's about the God who comes to us. It's about the, the Son of God who came for us. And yet, here I am reading for you a passage where that very Son of God says that you are my friends if you do what I command you. And what we've done is that we automatically go, okay, tell me the commands and I'll do them. Folks, I read the command for you in verse 12. Jesus said it, this is my commandment that you love one another, period, end of list. The the commandment is that we love, and a few weeks ago when we talked about the fact that God is love, we've already established in in our minds, in our hearts, in our understanding that this is not just that emotional love, it's that agape love that wants what's best for the other person. And so what Jesus is saying and yes that is the word that's used here is this I here's my command that you agape each other in the same way that I agaped you. In the same way that that I did what was best for you, then I want you to do what's best for each other. Because here's what we're going to find out. You see You and I, everybody, just like Jesus, we write our stories by the way that we live. Not by the way that we talk. We we write our stories by the way that we live. And Jesus did that that very next day. See, what, what Jesus did and what Jesus does is the same thing for us. What Jesus said and what Jesus did and what Jesus does is the very same thing for us, for all of us, whether we're in the first century or the 21st century, whether we're pre-pandemic or post-pandemic or mid-pandemic. Whoever thought we'd have those kind of words. But that's what we're living in. Whether it was a, a world where being a Christian and going to church was the majority culture or a world in which it's the minority culture which, by the way, is where we're living, then then what we're doing is we're writing our story with the way that we live. Many years after Jesus was in that upper room, several decades actually, this Pharisee turned Christian evangelist named Paul. A man who had been raised in the Jewish faith and then met Jesus on a Damascus road after Jesus' resurrection. A man who, who had been changed dramatically from moving in one direction to moving in the other direction. That, that man was not only writing his story, and God was not only writing a story in his life, but, but he, was, he was also sharing the story of Jesus. And he was writing to a church in a place called Philippi about what it means to follow Jesus and about who Jesus really is and about the fact that, that Jesus, Jesus is writing a story, and you're in it, you're a part of it. When he wrote these words, look at the way that he writes them in Philippians chapter 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, Any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. What Paul is saying to this group of people is this, write your story by living in a relationship with Jesus. By living in a relationship with the God who doesn't wait for you to get good enough to enter his presence, who doesn't wait for you to check off the list and do all the right things, but instead comes to you in the middle of your failure, in the middle of your pain, in the middle of your questions, and says, here, here I am. If you'll trust me because I'm trustworthy, if you'll trust me because I'm good, if you'll trust me because I'm generous, if you'll trust me because I love you in a way that loves you toward what is best for you, I created you and I know you, let me help you write your story. Do it this way. Because you see, Jesus lived out those words he told the apostles that night before he died. And Paul Paul puts together this wonderful description of what Jesus did that I would suggest to you this morning actually lets us know what Jesus wants to do in us. In the same chapter, he he lets us know this. He lets us know that, that Jesus emptied himself of his equality with God. I want you to think about that for a minute. He is Jesus. He is a part of the Trinity. He he is the one who spoke the very world into being. He's the one who knows you better than you know yourself. He breathed his own life into you. And so what Jesus has done is that Jesus has all the rights in the world. Think about what we live with right now where everybody's going, hey, it's my right to do what I want to do. You can't tell me. No one can tell me. These are my rights. And here's Jesus who made the world who made everybody in the world, (laughs) who literally created the people who killed him. Think about that for a minute. When Jesus was hanging on a cross, being crucified by Roman soldiers, who made those Roman soldiers? Jesus. When Jesus was being whipped, beaten, who made the men who were holding those? Jesus. When the crowd is is spitting on him and jeering at him and mocking him, who who made those people? He, He did. And so here's the most powerful entity who created everything that's ever existed out of nothing. The very son of God, who John tells us in the first chapter of his gospel, spoke the world into being and nothing that exists, exists without him and now here he is and what Paul says is look, He chose to humble himself, to empty himself of his rights with God. I don't care who you are, where you're from, none of us have that much power. That many rights. And yet the one person who had that much equality with God emptied himself of that. Look at the way Paul says it in verse 4. Have this mind among yourselves. Remember, we're writing our stories. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in in the form of God, that that word, the form, it isn't like a pretend. He is a very essence God. He was in essence, he was a part of the Godhead. Did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, to be held on to but emptied himself by, by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of humanity. My friends, Buddha didn't do that. Uh, my, my friends, the ancestors didn't do that in the Hindi faith. No pagan god has ever done that. That's the difference between Christianity and every other religious system in the world. The source of this faith, the source of this life, the source of all life, didn't choose to hold on to his power, didn't choose to hold on and grasp what was his. Instead, instead he willingly laid it down for you me. And, and it's not just that he laid it down. It's not just that he emptied himself of it. But, but he, he went to the furthest degree to do it. See, Jesus, Jesus emptied himself so much that he humbled himself to the point of being executed on our behalf. You see, now, Pastor, what are you talking about? Executed. You see, that that thing we call a cross, it wasn't a decoration to be put into jewelry. That that death that Jesus died, it wasn't just so you could write a song about it. No, No, Jesus died a criminal's death. Yes, he was falsely accused. Yes, he was falsely convicted. Yes, he was innocent and pure and not worthy to be killed but he chose because he emptied himself of his rights he humbled himself to the point of being obedient to death even death on a cross look at the way paul says it he, he, he and being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death on a cross i'm afraid that in the 21st century many of us have missed the power of that statement because we we think in terms of we well you know we've heard well yes jesus died for my sins Yes, he died on a cross. Oh, that must have been horrible. And we miss the fact. He was executed. He was executed for you. He was executed for me. He wasn't executed because he did something wrong. He was executed because he sacrificed himself, he humbled himself, he emptied himself, and came to the place where where he could give us what we can't give ourselves. Years ago now, when the movie "The Passion came out, some of you are old enough to remember that movie. Some of you've seen it i, I can't i can 't begin to describe the experience very well that I had while watching that particular movie when it was first released. Anderson University had uh, rented out one of the theaters here in town at that time. we had theaters in town and a few hundred of us, a few hundred Anderson University students and local pastors went to see the showing of that movie together. And regardless of what you think about the people in the movie or the movie itself, here's what you need to know. It is up until that point, and I think probably even still, I know many of you are watching a series called Chosen, and I applaud you for that. But, but, the, but, the, but the graphic, detail, visualization of the execution of Jesus in the passion was to that point and maybe still be the most graphic portrayal of what it really meant for someone to die on a cross. And I remember sitting in that theater as the as the as the movie progressed and, and, and then when it was over and the lights began to come up nobody moved. I mean we all just sat there because for the first time in many of our lives, in fact, it just really hit us of what the Son of God humbled himself and became obedient to do, and, and what was actually done to him. And, and I, remember, I remember as the lights came up, still in the darkness, you, you, you can, at first you would begin to hear kind of, oh, and, and then a sob, and then a tear. And when the lights came up, nobody moved because we just sat there in the room and you could just hear people all over the room sniffling, crying. Because suddenly for the first time, we we came so close to experiencing the reality of just what a sacrifice Jesus made for us. Folks, that's been almost 20 years ago. And the sacrifice is still the same. Can, can I tell you that the sacrifice is still the same? Jesus didn't just die on a cross so you could have be forgiven for your sins. And the, no, no, Jesus was executed on your behalf instead of you. Theologians call it a substitutionary atonement. He was the substitute for you he took your sin your failure your brokenness your heartache and he wrote a story with it he wrote his life story and the most amazing part as Paul now decades later is writing about what Jesus did about this humility about this emptying The most amazing part of the story is what the God of Jesus does with it. Because what I I love is the fact that God doesn't just honor Jesus for dying for us. (laughs) No. God, get this, God honors you. Because Jesus died for you. You say, what are you talking about, Pastor? See, it's like this. The God of Jesus, the one who empties himself and humbles himself, he honors that sacrifice with eternal life. He honors that sacrifice with eternal life. And not just eternal life for Jesus, who's the one who made the sacrifice, who was the one who was executed, who was the one whose pain was unbearable. No, no, he he honors that sacrifice by giving eternal life to you. I mean, come on. Jesus already had eternal life. (laughs) Jesus didn't need to do any of this so that he could get eternal life. He's the Son of God. He's a part of the Trinitarian Godhead. He spoke the world into being. Before any of us existed, He already existed. He is a pre existent, always existing, infinite God who chose to give that up to come here for you. Because you're not pre existing and you're not infinite and you're not all powerful. We may think we are, but we're not. Paul puts it like this, because of that emptying and because of that humbling, therefore God has exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, when when Jesus sat with those 11 disciples and the others in the room, and he said, this commandment I have for you, that you love one another in the same way that I've loved you, because very seldom will someone lay down their life for a friend. What he was really saying is, ladies, gentlemen, tomorrow I'm about to do something nobody else can do. Tomorrow I'm about to be executed on your behalf. I'll have the power to stop the execution, but I'm choosing. I'm choosing to allow them to take my life because I know that beyond the year, beyond that life, beyond this earthly existence, there's an eternity. And not one of you in that room or in any room since has the power to do what I can do. And so rather than holding that power, I'm going to use it and I'm going to sacrifice myself for you. That, that's a good God narrative. To understand that God is good, God is generous, God is trustworthy, God is holy, God is loving, and that. God, the God of Jesus, was willing to be executed for you, and that our Heavenly Father has honored Him by offering all of us eternal life. For those of you on campus, underneath your chair, there's a little cup and some bread. For those of you watching with us online, I, I hope you've already prepared yours. The chat room was giving you instructions to do that earlier. And in the next few moments, Sarah is going to sing a song. It's one of the most powerful songs written in the last few years. And there have been a lot of wonderful songs written, and uh, it talks about this sacrificing God and today if you're a follower of Jesus Christ I would invite you to not only sing along with Sarah but to listen to God's spirit and take that piece of bread and know that it's a symbol of the body of the one who is executed for you and to take the cup And know that it is a symbol of the blood that flowed freely from his veins. To wash your sin and make it as white as snow. If you're not a follower of Jesus today, if you're just here and you're checking us out either online or on campus, I'm so glad you're here. But I'm going to ask you not to take the bread and the cup. This is something that's reserved for people who are followers of Jesus. But if you'd like to become one, there is no better day than today for you to say to the self-sacrificing God, I am letting you into my life. I I can't keep doing it myself. I keep trying to earn my way to prove I'm a good person, and I just, I keep messing it up, sometimes publicly, sometimes privately. And and so, God, here I am. I'm, I'm just... Trusting you. And if you would pray a prayer something like that, it doesn't even have to be that long. It could just simply be something like, dear Jesus, forgive me. Just that simple. Then this would be a day when you could take the bread and know that the executed man on the cross was executed for you and you could drink the cup, and you could experience the cleansing of what happens to those of us who trust Jesus with everything. So in these next few moments, whether you're online or on campus, I'm going to invite you first to take, and then to stand stand as a statement that says you know what this this is my response to a self-sacrificing loving generous holy trustworthy god i'm gonna write a story with my life